It's a very big welcome to Now That's What I Call Sport on 98FM. 98FM's Now That's What I Call Sport with Jamie Moore. Yes, hello there. Good morning. You are very welcome to Now That's What I Call Sport on Dublin's 98FM. It's Jamie Moore here just after 9am on Sunday morning in Dublin. Coming up over the next hour, we're going to be talking all things dubs, including if Dermot Connolly could play for the hurlers if Jim Gavin doesn't bring him back for the footballers. One man agrees... Another man doesn't. I don't think for the benefit of the team itself that they can rely on somebody like him and waiting for him to make up his mind. I think the opportunities were there at one stage, but I think it just might be a bridge too far at the moment for David. That's the ex-dubs hurling boss Humphrey Kelleher. A former Dublin footballer, Charlie Redman, will also have his say very shortly. One man who won't be along anywhere in Ireland really soon is Declan Rice. We'll get the reaction of the Ireland boss, Nick McCarthy. He rang me. I mean, out of out of respect, I think, for, for me and for everybody. So he, 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 he told us first, but he was always going to put it out on that day. But as I said to him then, it was no surprise to me. I've, I've known for two months without knowing. Mm. All I needed was confirming. Uh, you know, he played three times for us, and if he wanted to continue that, all he had to say was, yes, no problem. And then we'll hear the concerning story of just how much young Irish footballers want to move to England as teenagers, leave school, not do their leaving cert, etc. We're going to hear that story from someone who did just that at Lone Town's Keelan Dillon, who moved to Derby County when he was 16. But things didn't work out. I loved it. The more that we were there, watching, the better I felt. It was like, great, right, here's another... He hasn't been here before. There's another club now for me to have a chance to try and impress. And I loved that at the time. Yeah, he loved it at the time. But uh, what about the scouts wearing the jackets in the parks around Dublin and Ireland? Are they making kids overly nervous? We'll ask that question. And also be giving away Six Nations tickets as well. 98 FM. Now that's what I call sport. Charlie Redmond, welcome back to 98 FM. Charlie, how are you? Good morning, Jamie. Fine, thank you. Former Dublin All-Ireland winner, of course, Charlie, here to look ahead to Dublin against Ross Common in the Allianz National Football League today. Throwing at Dr. Hyde Park is at two o'clock. Dublin have four points from their opening four league games, two wins and two defeats. Ross Common have won one and drawn one, lost two of their games so far. Last time out, last week, getting a Croke Park, a Dubs double header. The Dubs, the second game up. Uh, beat Mayo won 12 to seven points. Charlie, how would you reflect on the league campaign overall after four games? Well, I think if you were said was the start of the year, we'd, we'd have lost two games. You'd probably be disappointed. But I think in the way the two games Dublin have lost, uh, the game in Kerry was a fantastic game of football, and we just got outdone in, that, in the last by not having possession. And the game, probably in particular, disappointing was the first game up in Monaghan. But the, the results of last night of Galway beating Mayo puts Dublin in a very favourable position. That if I believe if Dublin go on and, and win their games from now to the end of the league, the three remaining games, they qualify for the league final, uh, and that is. That was all Jim Gavin, I imagine, at the start of the year was looking for. Uh, I know he's looking for, obviously, more than just get to the league final this year, but certainly from the league campaign, get to the league final would be a huge boost. And because he's, he's introduced some players, we see Gavin playing at, 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 in midfield in, in the last few games, and he's been, he's been a really strong player, and he's a really strong candidate to partner uh, him going forward. So, yeah, I think Jim Gavin will be fairly pleased with the campaign so far. And Charlie, if we talk about, you know, how things have gone for the dubs as well, you know, the manager, Jim Gavin, has been able to look at some of the more senior players, but also has used some younger players, Evan Comfort and Goal, for example, and others. And to be able to have had a look at them, even though a couple of league games have been lost heading into the championship as well, you know, particularly in goal, Stephen Cluxon has been, as you always say, you know, the best goalkeeper you feel probably in the history of, of Gaelic football, certainly from a distribution point of view. But to have Evan Comfort being able to play in these games is a real plus. 
Absolutely, and I think his his performance last week highlighted just how how comfortable he is now playing in, in, in big games, in, in, you know, in front of big attendances. And I think he showed himself up last week for the player he's going to be in the future. I think Jim is affording him the opportunity to to, to garner this experience. And the game last week, make, 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 no doubt about it, was a big game for Dublin. If Dublin Dublin's league was on the line last week, a defeat to Mayo would have would have sort of ended Dublin's uh, ambitions in, in the league this year. So I thought Evan Cummins' performance last week was, was super. It's great to see Davey Bourne back as well. Davey was out for long stages last year in injury. And to get him back this season is really good. And his, and his performance last week was, was very encouraging. We got we saw last year young Morton come in and, and, and make a position of his own in the back line. So obviously Jim has no hard and fast rules. Now we know we've, we've, we've quality players coming back. We know James McCarry didn't play last week. He's going to come back into the fold. We know Ken Kenny came back last week and looked like he hadn't been away. He, and, and it was only when in, in, in Kedok and Kenny's absence you realise such an important cog he is in the wheel. Uh, I know he has some detractors. Some people think he's very lateral and slows the game up. Well, when he's not there, that sort of mortar that binds it all together is missing. And he's a hugely influential player for Dublin. And last week, although they played him in the full forward position, which is probably not his, his, his favourite position, he showed he showed us what a, what a, what a great player he is. And he's such an important player in this Dublin setup that uh, having him back, having McCarthy coming back into the fold, and having having all the players coming back in, in the future, we're going to get looks them back in Jim Gavin must be he's sitting pretty at the moment the way the team is progressing Now Charlie one man who hasn't played for Dublin this year is Mr Dermot Connolly being back on the pitch for Vincent as well we're going to speak to Humphrey Kelleher in a moment to former Dublin hurling manager and ask him the same question uh, a couple of weeks ago Maddie Kenny was asked if he would approach Dermot Connolly to play for the hurlers if he wasn't going to play for the footballers and Maddie Kenny said no I'm happy with the team I have effectively and you know I'm not going to go and speak to Dermot do you feel that if he doesn't play football, he should play hurling. And do you think we will see him in blue of any sort this summer, this year? Well, really? I'm obviously I'm wearing my football cap here, and I'm, I've gone on record, and I'm, I'm quite happy to go on record again to say that Dermot Connolly is the greatest forward Dublin have ever produced. And when you put him in the likes of Keaveney, put him in the likes of of Anthony O'Toole, David Hickey, and for him to be ahead of all those players shows you the respect and esteem I have for the man and. I would just, I would love to see him wear the Dublin jersey again this year. I think it's a question on everybody's lips: why, 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 why isn't he there, or why is he not there? And no one seems to know the answer. And I think every Dublin player, every Dublin supporter, wants to see him back playing for Dublin. And if he was to come back into the fold, what a bonus it would be for for the team. So I would encourage everyone who can, or anyone who can, to. Get, get the wheel turning again and to get there back 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 where we all want to see him with his in crow park wearing blue if it's for the hurling well it's for the, it's for the hurling but obviously wearing my Dublin cap I want to see him playing, playing, playing football Great so Charlie Rebbin as always thanks a million chat to you soon You're welcome Jamie Sloan Ross Common against Dublin in the Allianz Football League throws in today Dr Hyde Park at 2 o'clock and we will ask Humphrey Kelleher the ex-Dublin hurling manager about Dermot Connolly in just a moment but firstly Nathan Whedon is beside me bright and early good morning how are you? I'm good how are you sir? I'm great thank you very much and uh, there's other dubs action today not just the hurlers There is indeed the Dublin ladies are in action taking on Westmead in the league the game throws in at 2pm in DCU elsewhere the Dublin Camogie team lost in their Littlewoods Ireland Division 2 league game against Leash yesterday the game finished one ten to six points. Now it's time to welcome a former Dublin hurling manager and our expert really in all things hurling here on the That's What I Call Sport on 98FM to the show. Humphrey Keller, good morning, how are you? 
I'm very well, Jamie, and hope all your listeners are as well. Yes, I'm sure they are. Now, Humphrey, we normally speak to you on a Sunday morning and you're about to start playing golf, but uh, this weekend you might be about to play golf, but you're not on these shores. Tell us where you are, because I'm very jealous. Well, at the moment, I am delighted to be here in Spain, uh, just enjoying the sunshine, and hopefully it'll last for a few more days as well. Have you been out on the golf course? I have been out in the golf course two days ago and it was very nice but I won't talk about the scores at present. <laughs> very nice. Well, enjoy the rest of your holiday home for you. won't be at Parnell Park later watching the dubs against Leash but I'm sure you'll catch the highlights in their next Allianz Hurling League game and three wins and just one defeat from the four games so far and Matty Kenny, as we mentioned before, his first season in charge. Dublin currently second in Division 1B of the Allianz Hurling League and Matty nicely building momentum here as they head into this final league game of the group stage anyway. I think so, and I think Matthew would be very pleased at the performance of more than anything else, Jamie. And today's match against Leash, hopefully that they, it'll, it'll be a win for Dublin. And if it is, it is possible that they'll actually uh, finish top of the league. If uh, Waterford beat Galway in Lodge Park this afternoon, I think uh, Dublin will be uh, number one team in the division, which is something that they wouldn't be expected at the start of the uh, National League. I think it's a very good omen for Dublin that they have done very, very well last week against uh, Waterford. And I think he's um, he's getting together a very good panel of players now. Uh, He's tried out a couple of new players. Uh, Some of them worked out, some of them maybe not. And you also have to remember, Jamie, that uh, a lot of the players have been involved in the Fitzgibbon Cup up to uh, two weeks ago and I think that's out of the way now and I think the players can totally focus on the Dublin setup. Yeah, last time out for the Dubs as Humphrey mentioned a thriller against Waterford a one point victory in, in the end I had to actually get the calculator out Dublin 125 Waterford 415 and when you see that Waterford had scored four goals you're like God they must have won the game but when you add it all up the Dubs actually won by a point and that's a big win the other games for Dublin so far in this Allianz Hurling League beaten in Galway but wins over Offaly and Carlow as well to begin the campaign and as you mentioned currently second in Division 1B and they could finish top depending on results later on today as well And we know of course the top four in Division 1A and Division 1B make the league quarterfinals the knockout stage is Humphrey as well and for the Dubs to you know have already qualified really for the quarterfinals unless it's an absolute disaster with results and to be playing competitive knockout games before the Leinster Championship and before the All-Ireland of course is a really good place to be given that that'll be the case when they do get into the Championship it is, and of course, if you look at last year's situation regarding the championship, a lot of hard luck, but I think we have to get that out of our heads now and look forward in a positive way to the uh, to, to, to the rest of the league and knowing that psychologically, Jamie, it's important to, you know, that that Dublin team sit on top of the league over the likes of Galway if things work out and um, Waterford and I think that the players themselves they believe now that they can compete uh, against the top teams uh, so if they, if they are finishing on top which they could easily do they'll play the fourth team in Division 1A and that would give them a bit of encouragement as well but you know I think that there's a long it's a long term strategy by uh, Matty Kenny to bring a lot of the players on to be able to bring him up to the standard that he has brought the cooler players at club level and I think that you can see that already now and also you must remember also Jamie that Mark Schutte 
Paul Ryan, Conor Keane and David Tracy, four quality players, have still got to uh, fight for their places on that team. And what he has done this year, he's brought in Oshin O'Rourke in the corner forward position. So I think the team will only go from strength to strength. But the only concern I would have is about the four goals are conceded because up to then, I don't think they conceded any goal. So I think it's something that they might just look at. Humphrey, very finally, a player who Matty Kenny was asked about last weekend after that dramatic win over Waterford was Dermot Connolly and he's back playing for Vincent in the football and he's back in Ireland having been in Boston in the States and doesn't appear to be in Jim Gavin's football plan certainly at the moment and our Stephen Doyle asked Matty if you know he would speak to Dermot and if he wasn't going to play for the footballers would he consider him playing for the hurlers because many people who you speak to would actually say that Dermot Connolly is a better hurler than he is a footballer which would be some feed if that's the case and Maddie's answer was I haven't spoken to Dermot the answer is I haven't spoken to him and he said he's going to basically try and get on with things with the squad that he has and I'm sure maybe that's the answer he had to give given it's a little bit unclear what's going to happen with Dermot but if you were Maddie Kenny and Dermot was possibly available would he be someone you'd go for because he'd certainly add a lot to this team if he did swap the dubs footballers for the hurlers as such well I suppose the lesson learned regarding players who've gone away to football are not be involved in the hurling. There's two examples I will say. Last year, Danny Sutcliffe came back to Dublin hurling, didn't perform at the level that he was capable as he had been away the previous year in America. So it took him about two years to get up to the level that we know we can do. The same with Colonel Keeney, it took him a while to come back. So I don't think there's going to be any magic formula with Dermot Connolly coming back. It might make good um, uh, copy, but I don't think for the benefit of the team itself that they can rely on somebody like Dermot and waiting for him to make up his mind. I think the opportunities were there at one stage but I think it just might be a bridge too far at the moment for David and Humphrey if he's not playing football for the Dubs and you know he's back in Dublin and he's fit and and he's firing why would Matty not try and get him because hurling is a special game that you have to keep the hurley in your hand every day unless there is a, 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 a I suppose a keen interest in Dermot getting involved in the hurling and getting this first touch back all of the things we've often spoken about in hurling he might be a very very good hurler at club level but at inter-county level to bring it up to speed to have the touch to have the feel it takes a long time to do that and I think that was proven with Danny Sutcliffe last year and Conal Keeney previously so I don't think that there would be a magic formula there for uh, at the moment however people might like that to happen Great stuff Humphrey Keller as always thanks a million enjoy the rest of the holidays in Spain and we'll speak to you soon Thanks Jimmy very much indeed Yeah the Dubs Hurlers in action later on this afternoon at Parnell Park it's a 2 o'clock throw in against Leash in the Alliance Hurling League Now Nathan is back beside me in the studio and Nathan you're very annoyed about something that you saw on Facebook tell me more I am indeed well I say that a lot but this just really got up my goat it was an Ulster under 15 school game between St. Pat's Magera and Abbey CBS the game finished 2 points to 1 Two points to one. Two points to one point. Magera scored 6.32 in their previous two games and Abby made sure that wasn't going to happen again. They had all 15 men behind their own 45 line for the entire game. And what's your problem with this? What? You're wondering what my problem with this is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think Ulster football is going backwards if that's the way the future of Ulster uh, football is going to go. Like they're teaching blanket defences to under-15s. It's a bit ridiculous, Jason, I think. Is that not what a lot of senior teams do against the better teams to try and either keep the score down or maybe get a draw or something? Because would you prefer if these kids were beaten 6.32 to one point? 
Well, I would rather lose 6.32 to one point and go for it than sit on my 45-yard line for 60 minutes and not budge out. Like, yeah. the clip goes on for two minutes and nothing happens. They're playing around with it in the midfield because there's nothing they can do. And it's not up to the team who are the favourites who have the ball to do more to score. But it's not up to the other team to challenge and actually make a game of it and come out of your 45-yard line. The pitch is the size it is because you're meant to fill the pitch effectively. Oh, no, I agree with you. I just... This video has split opinion online. If people want to have a look at it, we'll uh, retweet it now on that 98FM on Twitter. But, <laughs> listen, it's something that you go, right, we don't want to get hammered, what can we do? And maybe there's a middle ground you can find, but I don't just think they should have gone and played a normal game and been hammered by six or seven goals and, and you know, a huge amount of points. No, don't get me wrong, I, I understand full forwards dropping back to pl- f- probably float the middle and try and press, I understand that, but don't have your full forwards sitting in your half-back line. That's where it was, it was a bit ridiculous, it was too far and I definitely won't be queuing to watch any Ulster football in the near future. Yes, we'll have a look at that 98FM on Twitter if you want to see that video. Now that's what I call sport on 98FM. You're very welcome back. 25 past nine, it's Sunday morning in Dublin and surprise, surprise, Nathan, Leinster have won again. They have indeed. They've sewed up top spot of Conference B and a home semi-final with a 19-7 win over the Cheetahs at the RDS. It was an impressive feat for Leo Cullen's men wrapping things up that early considering there's four rounds left to play. Among the choice scorers were Conor O'Brien, Adam Byrne, Rory O'Loughlin and two of those were converted by Ross Byrne. The Blues pushed for the bonus point try towards the end but the South Africans held and kept them at bay. Next up for Leinster is a Pro 14 trip to Edinburgh on the 22nd of March. Elsewhere, Connacht hammered the Ospreys 46-5 at the sports grounds. Munster lost 10-6 away at the Scarlets and Ulster are in action today against the Dragons at 3pm at Rodney Parade Mick McCarthy it's great to get to chat to you when you've got a few months you know under your belt now as the new Ireland manager I want to ask you first obviously we're here you're promoting the uh, Club Ireland venture from the FAI I'm sure you just want to see as many bums on seats when you play your first home game here at the Aviva Stadium yeah we're here to promote the Club Ireland of course uh, and that's important as well because that raises the well we get bums on sleeves we get people in but it, it raises money as well for uh, for all the causes and I've just listened to John Delaney this morning talking about how much money has gone into the uh, uh, lower league football and grassroots of 250 million over 10 years and all that money helps that so that's a help progress the game in Ireland but of course I'm here really to talk about the team and moving forward and the games that we've got coming up on the 23rd and 26th against Gibraltar and, uh, and Georgia I know you want to probably put this one to bed after this week, but the Declan Rice saga came to an end finally. Um, did you speak to the player before he made his decision and what did he say to you? He rang me. I mean, out of out of respect, I think, for, for me and for everybody. So he, he, he told us first, but he was always going to put it out on that day. But as I said to him then, it was no surprise to me. I've, I've known for two months without knowing. Mm. All I needed was confirming. Uh, you know, he played three times for us, and if he wanted to continue that, all he had to say was yes, no problem. But you know, the longer it went after I met him, and I thought I was going to get an answer in January, I was never, I was never very confident he was going to stay. I was hopeful because I think he's a good player, and England are now a good player. So good luck to him, and let's not talk about him anymore because he's not one of ours. You disappointed? Never had him as a player. Uh, every time I watch him I think he's a really good player um, I have to say he's, he's gone for that sitting role in the England team I'm, just, I'm watching Longstaff play for Newcastle he was excellent there last night and, you know there's going to be a lot of competition uh, let me 
me tell you, I wish we'd got him. I wish he was one of our players, but he's not. So let's talk about the ones who are. Is this the toughest job you've had in football management with regards to you're only going to see your squad five days, six days before your first game and you need to put together both uh, a formation, a game plan. I know Gibraltar probably is a good start for you in that sense, but is it one of the toughest jobs you've had in in the game? Well, I I took over Ipswich on, on the Wednesday and we had to go to Birmingham on the Saturday and we beat them we won 1-0 I, I know the players that are coming in I'm not going to be asking them to do anything that they can't do or don't want to do you know whatever formation I play players will be playing in, in the formation they play at the clubs unless I have somebody missing I haven't got a person that can play in that there's a natural one and I'm saying that before I, I see all the criticism when you play somebody you think out of position when actually you've got nobody else to play there but I doubt that because at the moment I, I look at the squad and I think I've got players for every position, whether I'm playing 3-5-2, I've got players that can play in that position and I'll ask them to play in the positions they're playing with the clubs. Will you put the players into your formation or do you pick a formation to suit the players that you have? <laughs> I'm hoping that I've got the players with the formation by the time I'm, I'm picking the squad, don't forget. I have a bit <laughs> of a slight advantage. I pick the squad, so I'll be picking the players I want to play in the formation I want to play. The interesting thing is you've got a similar problem to Alex McLeish, Scotland manager. Two of your best players playing the same position right back. Mm. He's got two left backs in Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson. He's played at three at the back with Andy Robertson as a left wing back and Kieran Tierney as the left man on the three. Is that something you could do with Seamus Coleman and Matt Doherty? Do you have to get those two players into your team? It's something I could do. Yeah, I think uh, I think the Doc could certainly play a right side of centre back in a three. Uh, and allow Seamus to be the wing back but then you might say well Doc's having the more uh, a better role in terms of wing back so could I flip it round yeah I guess I could am I likely to no I'm not how do I shoehorn both of them into the team if they're both right backs probably won't how do I solve the conundrum I pick one the other one doesn't play and I come into the press conference and talk about the one who's not playing <laughs> that's what will happen do you think James Coleman's form has been below average this season? No, I don't. Whenever I've seen him play, I think he's played really well. Uh, he had a, a, a horrendous injury, uh, and he's got over that. He's back playing. He played last night. Uh, it's the derby on the weekends. It's Saturday, Sunday, it is, I think. So I'm hopeful he's going to play in that. I think he's the best right back that they've got, but then it's not for me to pick somebody else's team. I'm slightly biased. I think he's a, a top, top player. I think he's a really good captain because of how he is. He's a role model, I think, for other pro footballers, how he's got to where he is, how he's maintained his standards. And how, when he comes in the team now, he plays just as well as he ever done. But uh, he's got competition with, with Matt Doherty. Will he keep the armband for you? I haven't got a captain, yeah, I haven't got a team. But, equally, as I've just said, if I'm to pick him and he plays... And I want him to be captain. He'll be everything that I, I desire in a right back and a captain because he's, as I just said, he's a role model, I think, for, uh, for pro footballers. And if I can just ask you finally, um, Martin O'Neill talked a lot about in his time how he struggled to find a player to get regular goals in the same way that Robbie Keane had done for the previous 15 years or so. Do you think Sean Maguire could solve that problem for you or is there anybody else there that can be an out-and-out striker and get the goals that Ireland need? 
Well, can I just clear something up? That I would have thought pretty much, well, barring England and Harry Kane, there's not too many international managers that's ever had a Robbie Keane. Is it 68 goals in 148 games? So it's not only us trying to find one. Everybody has, there's not, every international manager on the planet could probably say that. So it's, and I'm going to say no. But I went to watch Shoney Maguire play against Millwall. I saw him twice, I saw him play against QPR. And I wasn't impressed. I spoke to Alex Neal while I was watching Derby and uh, Millwall sat next to each other. I said that to him. He'd just come back from injury. Wasn't a great game to watch him. I watched him at Millwall on Saturday and he was excellent. His movement, his work rate, his finish when he got his chance. Everything about him I thought was really, really good. Is he going to be Robbie Keane? <laughs> well, we've all got our fingers crossed, but he probably doubts it just as much as I do. <laughs> so... Let's, let's, if he plays, let's hope he does it and he's not like anybody else but he scores goals for us and Alan Brown by the way, his mate at Preston 12 goals he scored this year Callum O'Dowd has been scoring for Bristol City uh, um, Ronan Curtis scored last night great goal uh, for Portsmouth James McLean, I saw him score at, uh, at Millwall look, share them around not many people have got a Robbie Keane so look, can we get goals from other areas Let's hope so. So I've got to see goals galore in the big. <laughs> One nil every game and do me fine. As long as it's in our favour. Let me just clear that up. <laughs> the Ireland manager Mick McCarthy speaking to Stephen Doyle as the FAI launched Club Ireland. More information on FAI.ie. League of Ireland on 98FM. The best place on the radio for the SSE Airtricity League. Yeah, Bohemian still top of the SSE Airtricity League Premier Division after a nil-nil draw in Waterford on Friday. That's four clean sheets in a row for the Gypsies. Cork City nil, Derry City nil and Shamrock Rovers nil, Dundalk nil. So three nil alls on Friday night in the Premier League. A game I was at in the UCD Bowl to finish UCD 1, St. Pat's 1. And Sligo Rovers, the only team in the Premier to actually win a game on Friday. They had a 2-1 victory away to Finn Harps. One game in the Premier League tomorrow night. It's Shamrock Rovers against Finn Harps. Looking forward to being at Tallis Stadium to watch that at 8 o'clock kickoff. There's also a full series of EA Sports Cup games. There was also five matches in the first division across the weekend. Bray Wanderers are top of the table after a 2-0 win over Limerick. A thriller at Talca Park have finished Shelburne 2, Cabinteely 3. Wexford are beaten 4-0 by Galway who've started really well in the league as well. Well, two games last night. I was in Longford to watch Longford hammer Drata by three goals to nil. Well, at Lone Town made it two wins from two beating Cove Ramblers 1-0 down there in St. Colman's Park. And it's at Lone Town that we'll focus kind of next with a man called Keelan Dillon. He played for Belvedere here in Dublin, moved to Derby, played for Hull and also St. Mirren in Scotland. Before coming home, he's only 25 and he's going to tell us about the battle that Irish teenagers face to make it in England as footballers. Keelan Dillon joins me in studio next. 98 FMs. Now that's what I call sport. Now Dubliner Keelan Dillon moved from Irish club Belvedere to Derby County in England age 16. He also played for Hull City and Scottish side St Mirren before coming home. He's still only 25 and has played for a few different League of Ireland clubs Longford, Drada and Bohemians. He's now with Athlone Town and they made a two wins from two in Cove last night. But this interview is more about his time in England and the pitfalls and challenges awaiting young Irish players. It's the greatest league in the world. League of Ireland on 98FM. Mr. Keelan Dillon, how are you? I'm too bad, Jamie. How are you? I'm going to just say this, and this is not because Keelan is sitting beside me, but the best schoolboy player 
I've ever seen is in the studio. Very kind of you, Jamie. No, I don't know about that. And no, I'm not saying it because you're here, but uh, you played for my dad for Belvedere. And did, yeah. Your Belvedere team. Pierce Sweeney is at Exeter, went away to uh, Reading, was it? Went to Reading for us, Sean Cavanagh, now playing for Shamrock Rovers, went Fulham. to Fulham. Daryl Lennon sit at Blackburn. And Adam Evans, now playing for Longford, went to Burnley, he's at a few clubs as well. Yeah. That was an unbelievable schoolboy team. And when you were 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you were... You still are, but at that level, the schoolboy level, you were you were top of the game. Yeah, it's kind of Jamie, as you said. Obviously, that team went on, did really well. Won a couple of All Irelands, and you know, got a few of us to move away. And it's a great team to play in, and probably the most enjoyable football we've played, even still to date, was at that time at Belva. Yeah, we've had a kind of a theme in this podcast, speaking to the previous two lads as well, just about young players moving away and. You know the opportunity that that might give someone or might not give someone. But when you're like 14 and you're you're a top schoolboy player, you're an international as well, and you know you're playing and everyone is coming to watch you and loads of clubs are offering you trials and, and that sort of stuff. What's that like as a kid? Well, you think a top dog at the time, you know, everyone's coming to watch. You think, you know, nearly at that stage you're even thinking, oh, well, I'm guaranteed now I move to England. I'm one of the best players in the league here in the schoolboy, and we're one of the best teams around. And you know, it's great coming to watch you, thinking, you know, everyone's talking before the game. You get to know who the scouts are and you're thinking, oh, there's, you know, Man United or Derby, West Ham, whoever happens to be there. You're watching out to see who's watching it and, you know, you're nearly playing up to say, well, lads, come on, he's watching today. Let's see what we can do. See, can we get away? And that's all you're really thinking about at the time is, how can I get away? Is that... Does that add pressure to you personally, to your parents, to the team managers even? And like, I'm, I'm not sure on this. And I, I think you know, scouts personally, I don't think a scout should be walking into a park wearing a Man United coat or you know a Barcelona coat. I think they should be just in plain clothes. And eventually, you might get to know who they are. But I just think for kids, when they start to look over their shoulder, same for international yeah, staff, yeah. even at the Kennedy Cup, all the FAI staff wear their FAI. And I just think just let the kids take a step back and, and, and play whereas you, you just said to yourself you walk in jeez there's the man you've got to have to have to score a hat-trick here I might not pass that ball because he's watching yeah it definitely does work like that now at the time I loved it the more that we're there watching the better I felt it was like great here's another he hasn't been here before there's another club now for me to have a chance to try and impress and I loved that at the time but I can see how for a lot of younger players I was probably at 14 or 15 maybe more mature than other lads might be at 14 or 15 so we can understand how players could be going oh no jeez if I don't play well here today that's it that's my chance gone to ever be a footballer or I just loved it I just took it all in and said great bring them all down let them all come and watch us because we were such a good team and it was hard not to look good in that team and me and Adam scored a lot of goals in them two seasons you were nearly guaranteed every week that we'd get one each we were that far ahead of a lot of the other teams in, in the league so I love them coming to watch, but I can understand where you're coming from with not wearing the the club jacket, and it does put a lot of pressure on some people who, you know, just desperately want to get the move to England. Yeah, just to a, a Marcel a Marcelo Bielsa's friend job and hiding hiding the bushes, hiding yeah. the bushes with a, a, some sort of an invisible cape like yeah. Harry Potter. So you, you're playing in all these games for Belvo and for Ireland, and the trials are coming, and you're going on trials anytime you can, midterm break, sometimes maybe even missing school. Talk to me about that process because it's something that a lot of Irish kids go through. Some get signed, some don't get signed. But you were in a position where, you know, so many people wanted you. It was nearly you going to give the club an audition as opposed to them giving you one. Yeah, well, I went to I went across with a couple of clubs. I was at Celtic, Aston Villa, Derby. Um, I was at Derby five or six times before I actually signed. But Mark O'Brien, Mr. Scout, there brought me over, and there was a lot of Irish lads there at the time, and I kind of knew after my first week that. 
that was probably where I was going to sign. I signed very early. I was I don't think I'd even turned fifteen yet. I'd only been to three or four clubs and I just felt that everything at Derby was what I wanted and I was happy to go. It turned out afterwards then that other clubs came in looking for me to go on trial but I'd already agreed to go to Derby because while I was there, all the Irish lads, the facilities they had, how it was sold to me, Mark O'Brien, the scout played a big part in it as well and I just felt that that was the right place for me to go so I was kind of lucky that that ticked all the boxes for me. Any time I went over, I played well, enjoyed staying with the lads and the digs and whatever, and I just felt that that was the right club for me. But I was at other club, like when I went to Aston Villa, I kind of knew after one week there that that probably wasn't going to be the club for me. Just without the feeling I got from the club. I was at Celtic two or three times, and we only kind of went over and played a game and flew home. So I didn't really get a feel for it, but I knew at Aston Villa that I probably wasn't going to sign there. I know four or five other Irish lads went there, so like Graham Burke, Mikey Drennan all signed so they obviously got a different feeling than I did but I just knew with Derby that that was going to be the club I was going to sign for And what impact does all of this process have on school because you and you're smiling if, uh, if we can see uh, you're, you're smiling there so you're, you're in school you're playing school by football you're playing for Ireland you're going on the trials but then you've, to, you, you've signed but you can't go till a certain age and you have to wait and you're still playing club football and, and you, you know your club football level stayed at a, at a really good level you even played a couple of years up at times but where does school and education fit in? I think the smirk says it all. Yeah, well, in that, like, um, my mocks for my junior cert, I had to go and ask the school to be allowed to miss them because we were away playing a tournament with the under-15s for Ireland. So I actually did my mocks at home the week before everyone else did and was told just not to tell anyone what the, the questions were and what the answers were. And then I had to go in the following week then and in the morning before the other exam started, I'd have to catch up on an exam we'd missed the week before. So for me... And then, obviously, I went into transition year after my junior cert because I knew there was no point in me doing fifth year. I was leaving. I would have been wasting my time doing a year of fifth year because I wasn't going to do a leaving cert. I was going, and I had made up in my mind, and that was it. I was out, so I went into transition year, and like that, any time clubs came in looking for me, Derby looked for me to go over, I just kind of went, and school took the back seat. Yeah. You could have made a fortune... To your uh, with your uh, classmates, giving them the the mocks, uh, you know, you could have given uh, them all yeah. the questions. You probably I did. I wasn't quite a street savvy at the time, maybe to, to monetize it, but I probably should have. Uh, looking back now, I could have made myself a few quid there. So uh, you sign for Derby, yeah, and that's the club you choose. And then over the next three years, you spend a year at Derby, a year at Hull, and then a year in St Mirren. How would you look back on on that time? Look, I'd look back and say I wouldn't be who I am today, or I've learned what I know by not going there. Obviously, I left Derby after a year. I still had two years left on my contract. I just didn't feel that I was going to. After all the great feelings of being there on trial, I just knew after a year that that wasn't going to be where I was going to become a footballer. I wasn't going to break into the first team there. Um, partly probably down to me as well. I probably didn't do myself any favours, but I had just, again, one day just kind of came to the decision that this isn't going to be the place for me and I need to move and get to get to a different environment. And I ended up, I left it was actually the transfer, the deadline in the summer. I signed for Hull then, after that. So you go to Hull and you've chosen Hull because you felt that was the place, having left Derby. You spent some time there and then you make another choice to go to Scotland. So just tell us about the time at Hull and again, when you started to realise I need to look at something else. So I went to Hull and obviously they had said to me at the time that, look, I still had another year left as a as an under 18 and they said look we're not going to put you in with the academy they were on different training grounds so like you're going to come straight in here train with the reserves you'll be in and around the first team training with them 
and I just thought, well, there's a step forward already. They were probably a smaller club and at the time than Derby and different facilities and whatever, but I thought here's a really good chance now to go and go and push on and get into a first team. And like we'd, at the time, a reserve manager would have been Nick Barnby and then Kevin Kilban took over after that, so we were getting... It was, a, it was a step up. We were training with full internationals. It was a good few hours last year again. The likes of Robbie Brady, Paul McShane were all at the club at the time. And I just, again, just really felt at home there, but with three or four different managers at the time, that was there. Nigel Pearson was the manager when I first signed. He left. Nick Barnby went up from the reserves into the first team. He left at the end of that season, and then Steve Bruce came in after that. But I thought it was doing okay, but at the end of the year, they kind of said, look, for the style of football we want to play, and like they just signed David Moyler, who was playing in the middle, and they were like, that's the type of midfielder we're looking for, and he's six foot four. And no, <laughs> <laughs> so it just they said, look, you're just not really the fit for us, so you're free to go and look for a new club. <coughs> so then I ended up in, I was going to trial around a couple of clubs, played a couple of exit trials, game at all their shot, and went up to Saint Mirren and went on trial there a couple of times, played a couple of games, and decided to sign up there again to try and get a chance to play in the in the first team up there. So you're with Saint Mirren. When do you start to realise that? coming home is something that you either want to do or you have to do or you feel that it's the right thing to do? So again, I went up there, started off pre-season well. Um, they were kind of in a dogfight at the time down the bottom of the league. They'd finished sixth the season before, but a lot of it was kind of, they spent a lot of the season either bottom or one above bottom. So, you know, he'd saw me as a young player. He knew what I could do when I came in, but maybe they were a bit reluctant then to throw in some younger lads and a couple of older players came in and I ended up playing a lot of time with the under 20s and I'd been the same and I had only signed for one year so I was getting up near Christmas and I'm going look look, I'm not even training which is some days like what's going on and he kind of turned around to me and goes oh well look I'll give you three games with the 20s to try and prove to me that you're good enough to still stay here and at that time I'm looking at him thinking well look if you can turn your mind in three games you're obviously not that pushed on having me here so and then I was living in Scotland I was by myself it was the first time I'd ever lived by myself and I just I wasn't happy outside of football even I was just going home kind of sitting around all day like I had mates in the team but they all had families and were all off doing their own thing so I just came you know sitting at home sad every day and I just said look I don't know I went the same I'd only played two of the three games he offered me and said look I think we're better off just just leaving this. Like, there's no point in me. It was costing me money to live there. Like, they, they had to pay me on rent. They kind of said, "Oh, look, you can come up, and if you start doing well, you'll be getting bonuses with the first team, whatever. You'll be able to cover it, no problem." And it was putting stress on me. My mum and dad were helping me out with money as well, so it was kind of costing everyone to be there, and it was going nowhere. So I decided that it was time just to just to live. Yeah, so when you're at Derby and at Hull, you're still young enough to live in Diggs and, and have a Diggs family and a Diggs lady to cook for you and maybe live with other footballers too. And I know you, you still keep in touch, particularly with the Diggs people you live with in Derby. But then you, you're in Scotland and, you know, I remember speaking to Mikey Drennan and, and others. I, I think um, Conor Pepper, who you would have played against, I think, at times, was in Scotland too, living on his own. And they both spoke about just the loneliness and sadness of being on your own. And, and that's something that's happens to all Irish players and there's nothing there to help them no not at all there still isn't yeah well like when I was at Hull and at Derby you might get I think I can't remember the guy's name but he worked for the FAI and he'd visit around the clubs but Mick Lynham 
No, it wasn't Mick. Okay. It was a guy based in England. Okay. Mick, Mick always did a great job looking after the lads, and he, you still see him now on Facebook. Yeah. Anytime someone scores or gets a move, he's always first one in congratulating them. Yeah. But uh, there's a guy that used to come around the clubs in England, and we are talking all football league clubs, all the Premiership clubs. So I think I saw him once in my three years in, in England. So he, he's, I'm sure he's doing all he can, but it's very hard to really get a support in there. And when you're 18 or 19, the last thing you want to be going in is saying, oh, I'm, I'm sad at home when I, come, when I leave here. And it's a bit, you know, you're a bit too proud to go in and say, oh, I'm feeling this way, I'm feeling that way. Or you're talking to your parents at home or whatever, and you're ringing them and saying, oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, I was in training earlier. And you might be just, I've been sitting there. And my mum came over a lot now. She was regularly over in all my time in England. And it was always a big help and it was great. She might get over once a month when I was living in Scotland and it was great having them over and just kind of then, every time she was coming over then I was thinking I'd, I'd love to be back at home with the family or I was never homesick in my time at Derby or Hull or whatever but when I was in Scotland by myself it was kind of like I'd love to be back at home and that wasn't something I'd ever considered before that. was that, oh, like I was living the dream I suppose as a footballer. And it was, uh, if I'm not feeling great today, I know I get to go in in the morning and play football. But when I was at St. Mirren, I just I wasn't getting that feeling going into training anymore. And you're going in and kind of nearly pretending to be in great form for the lads. Being outwardly in great form. Over trying, you know, trying to keep making everyone laugh and joke and whatever. Just to go in, hide maybe what you were feeling when you were at home, you know. You mentioned the word proud there and I have the word pride question mark written down here. When you do decide that you're coming home... And you've been this underage superstar here and you've gone away. And at that time, you know, Facebook and Instagram wouldn't have been as massive as it is now. And all of those young players now are like Instagram famous and they get thousands of likes and everything they put up. Where on that ladder were you when you were coming home? And was your pride hit much given, you know, when you'd gone, everybody, including yourself, thought I'm going to play in England for the next 20 years? I, I think if you go over and you don't think that you're wasting your time. And maybe that was that was how I felt, and that was maybe why I didn't do a leaving cert and didn't think about school. I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm already thinking that there's a chance I might not make it here. So I had to go over and, in my head, be I'm going to be a footballer. That's it, and that is the only way to make it. I probably wasn't. I was thinking that not doing school work is me giving everything to be a footballer. I probably wasn't. I know I was listening to Paddy there before. He was saying the same thing. Probably didn't do himself justice over there. And I would probably say the same about myself. Uh, but coming home, you do, you feel like you've failed. That, you know, everyone was saying, oh, he's brilliant, he's guaranteed to make it, this and that. But it's just, it does take a big hit. I consider not playing at all when I come home. And I didn't want to come home. I didn't want to be back living at home because you'd have people. I'd come from a small place in Westmead. And even when I did come home, I was coming home for the summer, I was driving a course and they were expecting me to be coming home in Lamborghini, Rover, Lamborghinis yeah. and Range Rovers and people don't really see what goes on, they don't know the ins and outs of making it as a footballer, they think footballers are Stephen Gerrard, Wayne Rooney and you're on hundreds of thousands a week, so what could be wrong with you over there, we are talking like I'd probably make more money now working my own job than I ever did playing in England because at, until you've made it, unless you're playing in the Premier League or at the top of the Championship you're not earning huge money. And especially to get there, you're probably, like, school, uh, scholars at the time, I think the maximum you could be paid was £120 a week or something. And people think you should be coming home in Range Rovers. And it's just, it's, that's just not how it is. So even when you are over there, people are looking down on you saying, like, oh, well, 
why hasn't he played you? He's got he's over there two years now. How come he's not playing in the Premiership? And people just don't get that concept of what it actually takes to make it as a footballer. So Keelan came home then in the you know after that time in St Mirren, signed for Athlone Town, and I remember watching a game in Richmond Park of you playing for Athlone against Pats and thinking. God, he's still a really good player, and there you are in action for Athlone. Um, I'm not sure when that was. I think it was a couple of years ago too. So you've come home, you signed for Athlone. Was Keith Long the manager then, or was he? Uh, Mick Cook was okay. actually the manager when I first signed, and then um, he took over. And Keith took over then. Took after, you to Bowes after ten. Took me to okay. Bowes then after that. Yeah. So Athlone, Bowes, Longford, Drogheda, and now back to Athlone, and that's all since kind of January 2014. So you're you're like a League of Ireland veteran now. You're in your fifth season. How hungry are you to go in and, and really show? Like you're only 25 to really show people and yourself that you can actually play every week and, and you know make a really good contribution to your team. Well, that's it. That was the main reason I signed for Athlone. Like, again, I went and met Terry, and he said similar to the first time I signed for Athlone, you need games. If you're coming in here and you're doing your stuff, you'll get them here. It was you know gone away, worked hard pre-season and in the off-season as well to come back and I just really want to play as many games as possible now push on hopefully do you know we will improve over that long but it'll be a good season there's a good buzz around the place feels great coming home on a Friday night after playing scored a couple of goals but even with that just being back involved on a Friday knowing that you're going to be either get on or you're going to start like I haven't had that in the last couple of seasons you're kind of in and out you do get back in you do well and or maybe only in because someone's injured or suspended and you do get back in then but I'm really looking forward now to playing as many games and you know try and contribute whatever way I can and you're also working full time and playing and as you mentioned still a number of years left in, in the legs to play hopefully is there still an ambition to play full time football here or do you have an eye on well I'm, I'm now in a job where I might be able to progress up the ladder and then still play League of Ireland football part time yeah it's very hard now it'd have to be especially a lot of the time now but one year contracts if you give up your job go and take maybe for similar money than what you're getting between the two of them between the two jobs the football and work it would be very hard to say right well I'll go and give this a bash for one year but obviously if I get it's easy sitting here saying that when there's nobody asking you to do it but you know if a team that's in Europe full time comes in and offers you full time football was what I always wanted to be it would again be very hard to turn down but it's a serious conversation I'd have to have with the people around me and see is this the right thing to do but if it did come up I'd probably find it very hard to turn down come back in to play full time football knowing what I know now having been there when I was younger maybe not done myself justice you know The one word I would use to describe our chat is honest is it easy to be dishonest about what you've kind of been through in the last 10 years because it's it's so nice to hear and I hope people listening and watching will appreciate the honesty of, of the story you're telling like yeah, well, I was actually only having a conversation with, with a young lad down near where I lived the other day, and he was talking about another player who's come back from England, and it was, uh, he's, he's homesick, he's missing home. I'm not saying the lads don't feel that, but if you're flying every week and you're doing everything you can and you're playing, it's very hard to feel homesick like you are. If you're at a premiership club or whatever, if you're playing every week, like I said now, even just being at Adlone, playing every week, you're in great form all week. It makes being away much easier if you're playing and you're progressing you're playing up a year above you're playing in the reserves it does make things easier and it's also easy to turn around and say ah, such and such a manager just didn't like me or face didn't fit but I think if you do everything you can while you're over there I think there is a level that you will make it at and I just don't think that I did enough while I was there to really have a go at it you know well still plenty more to go Keelan thank you yeah. so much cheers Jamie. 
Yeah, how honest is Keelan? Did in a great chat with him. You can watch that full interview right now on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Now that's it for another week on the That's What I Call Sport. Thank you very much for listening. Anthony, Nathan Whelan and Kieran helping. Uh, we're back uh, helping, helping even. Uh, more in the podcast section, 98fm.com from all of our guests, including that interview with Mick McCarthy. We're back live next Sunday from 9, Six Nations on the agenda, plus Ireland legend John O'Shea will be here as well. Have a great Sunday, folks. See you. Bye-bye. 98FM's. Now that's what I call sport. Get the full show every Sunday morning from 9, only on 98FM.